Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the City Baptist Church Podcast. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. You can find all the information you need on our website at citybaptist.church. Uh, but how many of you noticed or saw that the NFL playoffs started last week? Did anybody notice that? Yeah, we have so many football fans in the church, I know. <laughs> Not too many. Uh, maybe some CFL fans, maybe, right? No, yeah, we still choose American football, I think, over, over CFL. But in case you were, uh, didn't know, the playoffs started last week. And so for someone like me, that means I'm going to start watching football. Right, I wait until the playoffs, and I kind of keep track of things during the uh, during the season. Uh, but I normally have a couple teams that I follow, and uh, and as it went last night, the team that I follow and the team that was in first place coming into the playoffs, the team that I was for sure was going to go a long way, lost last night. And so I guess my football watching is over for the for the playoffs, you know. Uh, man, I was discouraged. I, told, I, I didn't feel like preaching this morning. I was that discouraged over them losing. It was really, really challenging. Some of you that were around me when they lost, you, you saw how much it hurt me. But uh, football is one of those sports that I like to watch in the playoffs, just the intensity, you know, that is there. And I love all kinds of sports. I know that many of you do as well. But one of the things about sports, though, that I love so much, and if if you were with me last night while I was trying to play a a card game and watch the football game at the same time, is that those that were around the table kept hearing me saying, oh, come on, like, come on. They kept hearing this grunting and it's like, come on, let's get it together. And that goes back to all of my years playing sports, where oftentimes when it was a big game, a playoff game, we would get the team together and we would just be like, come on, guys, let's get it. Let's get it going, you know, let's make it happen. And our coach would come in and insult us, you know, and be mean to us and uh, try to get us motivated to go out there and uh, do a better job. It's interesting. I read a study this week that says that coaches that are mean to their players get better performance out of their players by insulting them rather than, come on, guys, I think you can do a good job, I think. So telling them, you guys are the worst. You, come on, get it together. I thought it was interesting. But anyway, one of the things about sports, though, that is so interesting and that I love is, uh, is the idea of the pep talk, you know? It's the idea of the coach, you know, before a big game game, getting everybody together, and, and you probably maybe would recognize uh, some movies, you know, that these famous sports movies that have just like this intense moment where the coach or the players come together and they encourage them, like, let's, let's go, and it's a big pep talk. I was thinking about a couple of them. I was thinking one of my favorites uh, is Remember the Titans, and you guys remember that movie there, and Denzel Washington, I forget his name in the movie, but, uh, you know, and he just gives them this incredible pep talk, and he brings together all these kids from different backgrounds, and, and, and they go out, you know, and they win the game, and of course, there's Hoosiers, which is a great basketball movie, and the coach there just, I mean, he just goes after that team, and he inspires them, and there's so many different movies, whether it's a Rudy is another great sports movie, but in most sports movies, there's this great moment of inspiration, right? And I know for me, when I'm watching a sports movie, and that coach is just like, you can do it, you know, I just start to weep. That's the only time I cry in movies. I start crying, and it makes me want to just put my shoes on and go outside and play, you know, (laughs) that's what I want to do, and then I remember how old I am and all those kind of things, but uh, we love a good pep talk and a good just, I mean, get out there. Come on, team. Let's go kill them, you know, and let's let's go and do our very best of that encouragement. Don't give up. You just keep on pushing, keep on pushing. And, and the speech always comes at just the right time, doesn't it, when you get to those movies? When, even if you've ever played sports, it seems like the coach seemed to know when you needed that pep talk, when you needed to be encouraged. And it always comes at the right place. And this is what Peter's going to do as we get to First Peter chapter 2. 
Peter recognizes that he's been challenging us seriously about the matters of holiness and of transformation in the Christian life. And so what he does now in the verses we're going to cover today, verses 4 through 10, is that he gives us a little bit of a spiritual pep talk is what he's going to do. He's going to give us a bit of a reminder that, listen, I get it. Sometimes in the Christian life, you come to church, and I get up and preach. I say, hey, you need to do this, right? And, and hey, you need to change this. And hey, this is what the Bible says. It's not me saying that, by the way. It's the Bible says you need to change this. You need to grow. And sometimes we get discouraged, don't we? I don't think I can live up to what Scripture says. I don't think I can continue on. And so often in Scripture, what we'll see is after a time of real challenge in the Word, we'll see a moment of encouragement, of inspiration, of reminder that keeps us going, that keeps us continuing on. And so that's what we're going to see today, that Peter is going to give us an inspirational, encouraging message. And I believe that today can be a message that will help you get your focus back to where it needs to be, your focus on serving the Lord and being encouraged. And Peter uses some metaphors in the passage, and I'll do my best to explain them. Today's going to be really kind of a teaching lesson. We're going we're to cover a lot of ground here, but I really believe it can encourage us and help us in our walk with the Lord. So let's get right into it today with 1 Peter chapter number 2, and I'll begin reading in verses 4 through six. He says, to whom coming? Actually, let's just look back real quickly uh, at uh, verse, let, let's just read one through three, what we covered last week. He said, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. And then he said, if so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Then verse four, to whom coming as unto a living stone Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, an holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Verse 7 says, Unto you therefore which believe, he is, say that word with me, precious. He is precious. The, those that believe are precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. You say, all right, pastor, where are we going with this? Well, point number one, what we see here, the encouragement that we see in this passage is that we are a spiritual house. So he's using metaphors here, and I want us to just understand that as we study this passage here. Peter is telling us that we are part of a building. He is presenting to us the picture of a building. Now, Jesus, I don't know if you notice it, but in those verses, Jesus was clearly identified to us as the primary cornerstone. I mean, he is the, the stone, and often in ancient building, they would set the, what's called the cornerstone, and it was a perfectly square. It was what you basically did all of your lines off of, all of your structure, uh, all of the, really the integrity of it was based off of that cornerstone. And so Jesus is identified to us as the head or the chief, the main cornerstone. And upon that, we are living stones that make up this spiritual building. Now, Paul talked about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19, 19 through 22, where he said, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, 
There's some really interesting things here we're going to talk about here. Growth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. So what we understand, church, is that when a person becomes a believer, when we trust Jesus Christ, we uh, metaphorically are plucked from that miry clay, we are saved, and we are set and fitted into this spiritual house, this idea of a house that he gives to us. And it, of course, is based off of the firm foundation, our chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And as we know, when a person becomes saved and as the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life, uh, some of those rough edges are sort of chiseled off and that fit begins to take place. And the beauty of it is that no stone is unimportant to the builder. We are placed within that spiritual building. And the amazing thing about these verses is that what he is talking about here is representative of some of the most important things when it comes to Judaism. Now, let's just put ourselves in this first century here. Remember, these are Jews who had followed after Jesus Christ. They're getting to know what it means to be a Christian, but they still have all of this Judaism, this past of their religious past that they are connected to. And so all of these references that Peter is giving here it really carries a deep meaning for them. Not so much for us, uh, but I want to try to make it mean something for us today, okay? So if you stick with me, I promise you we'll understand it all here at the end. But for the Jews, you got to think about it. Uh, the idea of the temple, the idea of a building was so representative of God's presence to their people, right? And if you think about that, there was the tabernacle, of course, there was the temple. And for them, if God was going to dwell anywhere at all, it would be in this physical place, now, Peter is saying here that no, believers, the family of God, are actually building something that God, is, that God is a part of, is what he's saying. And then notice as well in the verse, he talked about the idea of the priesthood. And so you take those two things, the building, the idea of the temple, and you take the priesthood, and what he's doing is he's connecting it into the individual believer now, the person that has accepted Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 5. He says, ye also, so you are lively or living stones. And he says, you are built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood for the purpose of offering up spiritual sacrifices. And there he defines spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, in essence, here's what Peter is saying. Followers of Christ have become God's people and we have become God's place, his dwelling place within the world. He uses a spiritual house, a royal priesthood. And what he is doing here is he is raising the identity of those believers, those Jews that were scattered amongst the Roman uh, uh, Empire. He's elevating their identity to a place that they would have never put themselves at. See, for the Jews, everything was about the physical, wasn't it? Right? It was about the physical temple, the physical dwelling place of God the physical kingdom that they desire. They all wanted to see, right? Uh, Jesus even said the Jews desire a sign. They want to see that physical sign. They want to see that something was happened. But now what Peter is doing, and he's following Jesus' example of taking uh, uh, Jewish principles and transferring them to spiritual, and he's showing them that these truths of this idea of Jesus dwelling or God dwelling in a temple and all, all of this, that God can only be in this one physical place, he's transferring it to now the individual believer. And his children who are built and grounded upon the firm foundation of Christ are precious to God and we are fitted into this idea of this spiritual house. We are come together and we represent God. Now here's why this is encouraging. 
Here's, if you're not sure yet, why is this encouraging? Here's why. The reason is because the audience that Peter is writing to are followers of Christ, but they're in out-of-the-way places, aren't they? Now, we, we established that early in the series. These were people that had been scattered. They were dispersed by persecution. They were now under persecution. They were all scattered all around. They were not anymore in Jerusalem. And so they're in these out-of-the-way places. They're off the beaten path. They're geographically removed from Jerusalem. They're geographically removed from the temple. To them, they all wanted to be around the temple. Everyone had a pilgrimage to the temple every year. They want to be there, but now they're far from home and, uh, of course, far away from that place of cultural and religious action. But now Peter, in this single metaphor, proclaims to them that, no, in fact, God is with you. You are the representation of God. You is where where God is dwelling, and he is with you. Now, this would have been, I mean, life-changing for these Jews, life-changing for them. What he's trying to say is that they themselves are at the heart and at the center of God's activity in the world. They are God's building, and in Christ, they are being built up into a a residence that can contain and God's presence can dwell, and in fact, does dwell through his Holy Spirit. So I want you to just try, if you can, to understand the importance and how much it would have really meant to them. I'm going to put it as simply as I can. For those Jews to hear this principle from Peter, it would have been life-changing because their identity then in Christ, in God, would have been secured in that moment. No longer would they have been like, hey, I'm, 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 I'm in persecution. I'm away from the temple. I'm away from this physical representation of God's presence. And now he says, no, 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 no. You, in fact, are the center of what God is doing in the world. It's not about a place. It's not about a building. It's about you, the individual, those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's inspiring to be reminded that we are living stones. And as living stones, church, we are at the center of what God is trying to do in this world, what God is building, the kingdom that is being built on this earth. We are a part of that. And that takes that, that right there encourages us Because it's not about a place. It's not about what you do. It's about the fact that you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, so often in the Christian life, we feel alone, don't we? Sure, we come to church and we see our brothers and sisters in Christ and we're around them, but often we feel alone in this world, at our job, in our career, whatever it is that we're doing. Maybe you're the only Christian. I know some of you, you're the only Christian in your family. You're the first Christian in your family. The first in your, or the only Christian in your workplace. Here's what I want us to know is that, listen, You have a spiritual family, you have a spiritual building that you're a part of, meaning you're a part of what God is building on this earth. And that's a pretty special thing. So even if you're the only person in your work that knows Jesus, if you're the only person in your family that is seeking after Christ, you are God's special possession and you're at the center of what he is doing. And to me, that's amazing, right? I mean, how amazing is that? That's really amazing, Pastor. Thank you. Yeah, it is. I think it's really amazing. <laughs> I love how sometimes, I know you guys are looking at, me and looking at me and you're like, why is he so excited? This is good stuff, okay? This is good stuff. We're at the center of what God is doing. This is part of the pep talk, the encouragement, the rally that Peter is giving to them. But he's not done. So let's continue now. Verse number nine. He says, but ye are a chosen generation. This is a familiar verse for many of you. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So not only are we a spiritual house that he's encouraging us with here, 
But he also is encouraging us that we have a new identity in Christ. We have a new identity. Again, he's speaking to the stranger, to the pilgrim, to the the few that are out there that know Christ in this world, that feel alone. He says, you have a new identity because of Christ. Look back with me at verse number nine. He gives them these descriptors here of their new identity. He says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. So building on the fact that we're a part of this spiritual house, we have this new identity. And I want to walk through these and explain them to us. First of all, he says that you are a chosen generation. Now, the word that is uh, translated generation here for us is a transliteration carried directly from the Greek, which means a nationality or a race. So he says that you are a chosen nationality. You are a chosen race of people. What he's saying is that those who have been born again by the grace of God actually make up a chosen race of people on this earth. And the idea is that we're a new race. We're a new species, if you want to call us that, uh, entirely separate from the other groups that are on this earth. Now, that might uh, make you feel uncomfortable or feel kind of weird, but the fact is, is that God can take believers from every continent on this world, every country in this world, whether it's China or, or Russia, Asia, whatever you want to, uh, wherever you want to be from, South America, Europe. Uh, today I talked to, uh, or yesterday I talked to Emmanuel. He's back in Zimbabwe for a little while. Wherever you come from, God can take people from all of those areas and he creates a new race of people. You say, well, how is that possible? Well, it's possible because of the Spirit of God. It's possible because of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit takes a person and changes us inwardly in an incredible, special way that is so unique. God is not changing uh, facial features or skin features. Those really don't mean anything to God because they eventually will uh, decay and, and perish and die away. Our physical bodies will die away. But inwardly, what God is doing within us is that he's changing our hearts and our minds. He's changing the way that we look at life. And that's what really matters. God implants in us a new divine nature. And this falls right in line with what we know about salvation, isn't it? Think about it just for a moment. When we get saved, we are born again, aren't we? John chapter 3 teaches us that. We also know that we receive a renewed mind, Romans chapter 12. Uh, we become a new creature, 1 Corinthians 15 tells, or uh, 1 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that. We receive a new nature, as Ephesians 4.24 says, and we also have a new spirit, as Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 teaches us. All of these things that I've just mentioned that are connected to our salvation all have to do with renewal, don't they? There's a change, there's a newness, there's a special uh, aspect, and it has nothing to do with how we look or where we're from or what our past is. We are a new chosen People. We are a chosen generation. We are a new nation because of who we are. And that's an awesome thing to remember when you're a pilgrim in this world, when you're just passing through and you're searching for identity. Like today, everybody wants to find a group to identify with, don't we? And we want to be around people that we understand. And we're trying to, we want to be around people who know who we are. Listen, if you're a Christian, you find another Christian and they'll know who you are because you're part of the, the same nationality. You've got the, you've got the same, same national anthem. Jesus saves, I think is what it is. I don't know. (laughs) That's what you've got. And and you're a part of that because God has made us different. We are a chosen generation. We are special. But also, he says that you are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Now, I know when we talk about priests, immediately you have some idea of somebody with a big hat and a nice, maybe, robe, you know? And uh, (laughs) I remember I was... (laughs) 
<laughs> I was doing a funeral. Uh, I was at a funeral, and it was a different denomination, let's just say. And uh, I remember uh, we were waiting for the priest to get there. I was doing I was doing the gospel, and the priest was doing whatever he was going to do, you know. And and uh, and I were like, "Where's the priest? Where's the priest?" And this guy just comes in in like a Adidas tracksuit, you know. He's got his like Adidas, uh, and uh, but he had the collar on, right? And then he just went to a back room, and he came out, and he had all this stuff on. I was like, "Oh man, that's kind of cool." He just <laughs> rolled in in a tracksuit. Anyway. Uh, that's kind of the idea maybe that you've got, I don't know, uh, of what a priest is. Um, but to the Jews, it also meant something very specific to them as well. And, it, and they had this idea. But it's mentioned here in verse 5 and verse 9, and it carries a, a lot of weight for those Jewish believers because for them, the priest was what stood between them and God. The priest was the one who represented the people to God. The high priest was the one who went into the Holy of Holies and functioned as that intermediary between God and the outside world. And in Israel, there was no one, I mean, no one who was more closely connected to God than somebody who was in that role of priest. So in light of that understanding, them thinking, okay, I think priests, I think them, I mean, someone who knows God, connected to God. In light of that, Peter calls all believers a holy and a royal priesthood. Now think about that for a minute. What does that mean then? What does that mean to us as believers for us to be called a royal and a holy priest before God? What does that mean? Well, what he's saying here is that every Christian, every Christian is the ultimate insider, is what he's saying. We are, I mean, we are directly connected. We are not just representative of God's place in this world. We serve as his priests. We are intermediaries between God and this world. We serve him and represent him in that way. You know, sometimes people say to me, man, if I could just see God, let's say I'm witnessing to someone, if I could just see God, if he would just do something I could see, then I would believe in him. Maybe you've had somebody say that to you, you know, and they'll maybe even be like silly, like God strike me dead right now. No way, you know, oh, see, you know, God doesn't exist. That's a great time to punch them, just so you know. I'm kidding. I'm, that's, okay, that's out of line. I'm sorry. But one of the things I often say to people is uh, when, it, when they say that is, is they say, well, if God would just show up, you know, if God would just reveal himself to me, I, I often will say, you're looking at him right now. Now, not in like saying that I'm God, okay, because we've also had people tell us that they're God as well. I've experienced that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is that I am God's representative here in this world. And I'll sometimes say to people, I'll say, listen, yeah, you know what? God's not going to walk in that door and say, I am God, listen to me. Because if he did, you wouldn't believe him anyway. That's a fact. <laughs> All you got to do is, you know, walk around the city and someone will tell you that they're God. But if you would just know what God has done in my life and I can represent that to you, I want to tell you how God has changed me. And that is my way of being that priest, that representative of God in this world. Imagine the impact to those Jewish believers who still maybe in their mind had this idea that maybe the pastor or the, the priest or whatever, whoever they thought was the spiritual leader in the room, they thought that they were the only ones who could be close to God. He says, no, 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 all of you, you believers who at this point, they were disconnected from so many things. He says, no, no, you are connected directly to God. You are royal priesthood. You are God's representative on this earth. It would have been very, very special to them but he continues and he also calls them a holy nation. Now the word holy can be intimidating at times when you see it. You know, we, we see that in scripture and we get intimidated by it. But in its simplest terms, it means set apart. It means sacred. It means uh, reserved for a specific thing. And you and I, I want us to know is that you and I are a holy nation. 
We already talked about us being a race, a special race and a special nation, but we are set apart. We are a body of believers that have been set apart for God's special purpose. We are ambassadors for our King, for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are set apart for his purpose and for his glory. And, and the more, here's what happens. The more that you develop your spiritual journey, the more that you walk with God, the more you get in tune with who he is and who he created you to be, the more you'll discover that you're out of sync, out of step with the world. It's an interesting thing that happens the more that you grow. Some of you, when you were really like really new, saved early on, uh, you didn't really sense that there was that much difference you know, in your life. But the more that you walk with God, the more that you look at the world around you and, and you're just like, I just don't feel connected to them anymore. Can anyone testify to that? I mean, that's me. That's me. You know, I'm in a room, I'm talking with people, I'm just like, I really, man, I can't really relate to what's going on here. And you know what that is? It's, it's you recognizing that, okay, I'm not of this world. I'm not of this world. There's a, there's a difference here. Maybe you sense it with your coworkers or family member that does not know Christ. And if you find yourself feeling that way, I want you to know it's okay. Don't try to fight it. <laughs> don't try to be like, okay, how can I feel comfortable again with my unsafe family and friends? Don't fight it. Don't resist it. Just recognize that you are a set-apart child of God. And uh, we pledge our allegiance to a far different flag, if you want to use that metaphor. We pledge our allegiance to the Lord and not just to the things of this world. We are a holy nation. And then he also says part of your identity is that you're a peculiar people, a peculiar people. Now, this word has uh, changed its usage over the centuries. Uh, So I want to clarify right from the start. Uh, When we think of something as being peculiar, honestly, we think weird, don't we? We think, okay, that's not normal. Like, that was a peculiar choice, you know, and we look at it that way, and that just seems sort of odd to us. And, and I'll tell you what, at some point in your Christian life, you will meet somebody who claims this verse as their life verse, just so you know, out of a misunderstanding, like, well, I'm a peculiar person, and they'll say things like the gospel light attracts some strange bugs, you know, they'll say things like that, and, and they'll say, this is my life verse, and, and uh, I'm just peculiar, I'm just weird, <laughs> you know. Well, hopefully they don't do that. Then I'd be a little concerned. But they might say that, and it's, I understand they're joking, and people use this, you know, as kind of a joke. But they're missing the, the true meaning here. They're missing the true meaning of what Jesus is saying here. The word that uh, Peter is using uh, means literally to obtain, to acquire, or to possess. So he's saying here that you're not a weird group of people, but you are a possessed not in a weird way, but you are, you are owned in essence. You belong to the Lord. He's emphasizing that we are God's own special people. God personally, we are part of who he is. God owns us. We belong to him. He's teaching us that each believer is uniquely and personally and privately a part of God as his own special possession. Now, this reminds me back, I don't know if you remember this or not, but back in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 and 19, you'll remember this verse where he says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. What is he saying? You are redeemed by Jesus Christ, by his shed blood for you. So redeemed means bought, paid for. And so we are a part and we are, uh, we are a part of God and we are his possession. Now, it's interesting. Occasionally, you'll hear about uh, certain items that are up for auction that belong to somebody famous. Um, I, was, I did a little reading this week on this, and I heard that uh, somebody bought uh, Scarlett Johansson's uh, used tissue that she blew her nose into for $5,300 on eBay. 
US dollars. So like what, 25,000 Canadian? I don't know. <laughs> Elvis, you might have heard of him. His Bible sold for $94,000 in auction. J.K. Rowling, who wrote the uh, Harry Potter series, the chair that she supposedly sat in to write those books recently sold in auction for $394,000 US dollars. Now, the items themselves do not have any significant value, right? I don't know that you could say that, uh, you know, a used tissue, uh, I mean, just laying on the ground has intrinsic value or, or even, I mean, a Bible. I mean, Bibles are great. Obviously, they carry it. You say, well, pastor, this is most precious. But yeah, I understand. It's priceless. We know that. But you know what I mean? But in itself, it doesn't have any intrinsic value as far as the paper and what it's made out of. A chair, an old chair out of wood may have uh, some kind of value to it. But what gives these things significant value? What would lead somebody to spend $394,000 on an old chair because it was proven to be owned by somebody of importance and somebody who was influential. It is the ownership who owned it before you that makes it valuable. Now, I want you to think about something, and I want you to think about the value of something that is owned by God now. Think about that for a moment. You know, Elvis's Bible, okay, $100,000 for Elvis's Bible because it's Elvis and cool. You can tell your friends and hey, check it out. Elvis, I think like had that in his house, right? I don't know if he read it or not, but he had it in his house. That's cool. Elvis owned this Bible. You know, maybe you have a, a signature or something like that uh, by somebody famous and that's okay, kind of cool. But think about the value of something and I would say someone owned by God. Saved, bought with his precious blood. That's pretty high value, isn't it? That's pretty peculiar, peculiar. <laughs> that's pretty awesome is what it is. That's amazing. And, and that's the value that we have in this world. That's the value that we have to God because our value is not based off of who we are, but whose we are and we are his. We belong to him and that gives us great worth. So it doesn't matter what the world thinks about us. Who cares? It doesn't matter what they think about us because we don't have to live our lives for their acceptance. We are accepted by the one who bought us, the one who saved us, the one who redeemed us. And that's something to sing about, isn't it? That's something to praise God about. That's something to lift him up. It's also something to wonder about. Why would God do that for us? Why would he give us this identity? Why would he elevate us to this point? Uh, wouldn't we just be filled with pride? <laughs> Why would he do this? Well, he did it for a reason. And we see this thirdly in our passage here. And I want to read uh, verses 9 and 10 again. He says, well, he says, your chosen generation. Then notice here in the second phrase, I have it bolded here on the screen. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has given us this new identity for a purpose. And he has given us a special calling. Thirdly today, we have a special calling. Look back again at the verse there. The calling is that we would show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want to define these terms real quickly. Where he says, you should show forth. That means to speak forth. It means to tell out. It means to publish abroad. It means to set forth. And then he says the praises of our God. Those are the virtues, the excellencies, and the supreme and eminent qualities of God. Simply put, here's what he's saying to us. Those who have our identity in Christ, who are confident, we are living in the light of his mercy for us, as verse 10 talks about, his mercy. Our responsibility then is to be a witness for God. Our responsibility then is to uh, shine and share his glorious message of salvation 
through grace. That is why uh, the message here is described, the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The message that we are to share, church, is the message of salvation. The fact that God can deliver a man out of darkness, a woman out of darkness and into the light. And this is what we are to proclaim, that Christ has saved us. He has brought us out of that dark place and delivered us and given us eternal life through him. Think about it. Because of salvation, we now exist to proclaim the excellencies of God. Could there be anything better to do? Could there be anything else more worthy of proclaiming and giving our life to than proclaiming the perfect, excellent, marvelous, wonderful salvation that God has given to us? The same salvation that gives us confidence, that gives us identity, that gives us uh, the ability to live beyond everything else in this world and live above it as a new nation called and set apart as God's chosen vessels. We have so much value. And he says, I want you just to proclaim me. I want you to elevate me. I want you to proclaim what God has done. And, and, and the title of my message today is God is for you. That's the title of the message today. And I want us to get that, that God is for you. And he's proving that to us right here and right now. It's hard to believe, but he is. <laughs> he's given us so much, hasn't he? He's made us his children. He's placed us in a spiritual house. He's let us be his priests, his representatives, his people, his possession. He's not gonna leave us. He's not gonna forsake us. His mercy has been extended. It is new every morning. And by his grace, we can live for him and in fact, we should want to live for him. Now, the devil is the master at pointing out our failures, isn't he? Man, he's good at that. He's good at that. This morning, as I was sitting there on the pew, getting ready to come up here and preach, I don't know where it came from, but I was just like, this, is, this isn't going to go well today. <laughs> and I don't know where that came from, you know? I don't know where that came from. Um, but I said, get thee behind me, Christian. I didn't say, it wasn't, he didn't say that. I'm just kidding, he didn't say that. But I recognize that, you know, we, without God, without God, yeah, anything we do is, is, is nothing. But God chooses to use us and he calls us. And Satan does such a great job at pointing out our failures. Remember, Revelation tells us that he's the accuser of the brethren. We've got to remember, and what I was encouraged with this morning is that if God's for us, who's going to be against us? And we can continue forward for him. But the questions for us this morning, and, and I just want to wrap it up here just real briefly. First of all, if you know the Lord as your Savior, have you come to him and, I guess, taken that, that heart and taking that moment where you've decided, I guess would be the term, decided and just said, you know what, God, I am yours, and because I'm yours, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to live for you that you've embraced the special calling that's been given to each of us, which the calling, as we saw, was to show forth the praises. So I wonder, are you doing that in your life right now? Are you actually showing forth the praises of our king to this world? Or are you living in fear of what everyone else might think or what the unsaved of the world might be, I guess, looking at you and, and what their thoughts might be of you? See, the, the, the encouragement in all this is, first of all, that God knows us. He loves us. He, he, he wants to use us. All of these great things that we covered here, that we're saved for a purpose and we have his mercy, we have this identity and this calling. But there is a challenge within it as well. There's encouragement. Like I said at the beginning, you know, whenever there's this big pep talk, the reason is like, let's get out there and let's play. Let's get out there and do our best. 
And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, okay, let's remember who we are. Let's remember what God has done for us. Now let's go out and show forth his praises. And so that's really the whole thing today. If you're a Christian, would you show forth his praises? If you're not a Christian, would you accept him as your Lord and Savior? Would you place your trust in him and experience what it means to be a part of that spiritual house? But I do believe that most of you here today know the Lord, and so that's my challenge. Are you showing forth his praises? Are you willing to step out and, and point others to the light? It's really what it comes down to. Maybe you've been living in fear. Maybe you've been insecure about who you are. Would you be encouraged today that God is for you and that you are valuable to him? You are way more valuable than some old tissue, okay? You're way more valuable than some chair. And it's because of who owns you, and it's God. Well, we do want to thank you so much for tuning into the message today. And if it's been a help and encouragement to you in any way, uh, we would ask that you share the podcast. You can easily do that on either social media or maybe just uh, text the link to a friend. But like I said, it's our mission to help others find and follow Jesus here in Vancouver. Uh, all across Canada and even around the world. And so you sharing the message today can really contribute towards that. Also, we would love for you to make a connection with us if you haven't already. And so the two best ways to do that is either by liking our Facebook page, that's City Baptist Church, or following our Instagram account, Advanced City Baptist. And of course, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca. We do have all of our past sermon series on there available for you to stream, uh, past services, uh, worship, and just lots of other content and resources there to encourage you and strengthen you in your walk with God. But once again, thank you so much for tuning in today. We are looking forward to next week's message. We love you, we're praying for you, and we're here for you.